Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. Great. Why don't you all just stand up, have a quick shake. We've been sat down a long time. Go for it. We're in the last straight. And uh, whilst you've got your hands in the air, those of you that have got sheets near you, can you grab this? And this is basically, I mean, coincidentally, it's with Open Doors, the the group that Pete works with. Do sit down again. Uh, Wherever I go, I'm trying to get people to sign these petitions because, you know, older people in general have had their idealisms uh, and their dreams and the stuffing knocked out of them. They don't believe they can change the world. That's a generalization. But older people largely have settled for, for, for less than living uh, biblically authentic, passionate, radical lives. And this is a very tiny outworking of that. It's our belief that we can change the world. A couple of years ago, I, I, I took a, something like this. I went around conferences. I said, you sign this. By this time next year, I'll be able to come back and tell you that we changed the law. The law was that children were in prison with men in this country. They're getting buggered. And, and according to the UN rights, the child, a, a child should not be in prison with a man. So that was wrong. And we campaigned. And the next year, I came back and said to the guys, we have changed that law. And we can change the world. We can change laws. So if you want to sign up this, basically the outworking of this, of what the Islamic uh, organization is pressing the UN, is for uh, legislation which will protect Islam, give it a privileged position. And the outworking of that is in places like Pakistan, uh, our brothers will get murdered. They'll get, they'll get put to death on the blasphemy law and that sort of stuff. So please sign it if you can. And uh, that's a very practical way of being involved in mission. And uh, hopefully, in due course, we'll be able to report back on that with success. But all that it takes, you see, this is quoting a guy called Edmund Burke, all that it takes for, for evil to prosper is for good people to do nothing. And there's so much apathy in the body of Christ. And I want you, and I want what I say this evening, to reinforce the challenge that we can, all of us, change the world. You know, I mean, that, I'm, not on a, I'm not on a bungee jump recruiting drive this evening, but I do want you to feel the edge of something that potentially, if you've got the balls to live for Jesus, that you can launch out into the plans and purposes of God. But you cannot play it safe. You cannot be nice, middle-class, respectable people. We've got to take risks. I mean, it's absolutely fundamental to the life of following Jesus. I mean, look at the scriptures. From, from Abram leaving his country, his people, his father's household, and going to the land he would be shown. He left, he left the comfort zone. On into the New Testament, you know, all those guys, I mean, half of them died for their faith. We follow a guy who died that we might live. And if you haven't found something yet worth, worth, worth dying for, you haven't found something worth living for. And I end up in this country in, the, in, in uh, Central Africa called Burundi that some of you heard of. Many of you haven't. You have now. And uh, it isn't a hell of a mess. And I don't use those words lightly. But it is in the darkest places that the light shines brightest. And we're not meant to go to the nicest places anyway, are we? I mean, people ask me, is it safe? Of course it's not safe. I thought I'd be dead by now. People tried to kill me. People I care about were killed. Guy came to the house with a grenade to blow me up. He'd written letters saying he was going to cut out my eyes. Are those nice experiences? No, they're not nice experiences. But they're great experiences. Because actually, then you see the reality of God. And if you want to believe in some cozy, domesticated Jesus that you trot out your back pocket when you've got exams or when someone's sick, then you're not going to experience life to the full, which is what Jesus came for each one of us. 
That's John 10.10. 10. He said, I've come to have life and life to the full. But the start of that verse talks about the enemy, Satan, who comes to steal and kill and destroy. That's his business. That's what he's trying to do to our, your generation. And I went out to Burundi, which was at the time, in 1998, it was the most dangerous country in the world. It's improved. And I went out there because I prayed a prayer, which I'm going to challenge all of us to pray this evening. By the time we close, this is the prayer that took me out to the most dangerous country in the world. God, I was 24. You guys, can be ahead, you can be ahead of the game this evening. God, I'm 24. No girlfriend, no strings. I will do anything. I'll go anywhere you make it clear. That was my prayer. I will do anything. I'll go anywhere you make it clear. I said, I don't want safety. Because safety is a mixed blessing. Because when we're safe, then we don't need God. Amen? Oh, do we like safety here in Banger? I said, God, I don't want safety. I want to be in your will. That's the safest place to be. And so it, it was... Uh, what happened was, I, I went to England's most expensive school from a very wealthy uh, background, then I went on to sports university, then I went into this pucker job. So I was on the conveyor belt to success and affluence. But that was my prayer. I took time out from the job, I went to Bible college. And there I was, and uh, slowly at the end of that year, everyone else had their, their, their security lined up for the coming year, and the course was finishing. It was the second last day of Bible college, and I was railing at God, saying, Flippin' it, Lord, answer me. Come on. I'll do anything, I'll go anywhere. And this random punter tracked me down. And we met up in, in it's called Bishopsgate, the financial city center of, of London in the city. And, and this guy, I didn't have a clue who he was. He, he, he tracked me down. I'd rung him up. I basically got a message saying, ring this number. I'd rang him up. He said, let's meet up. We met up on now the last day. And I, I looked across and thought, who on earth are you? And this guy said, my name's Rob, and I believe God sent me to you. I've been praying. I believe he's, he wants you to go to Burundi and be involved in youth and mission and evangelism. And as he was talking, my heart was going, God, is this what you've kept me for? So I said to him, thanks, weirdo. I'll think about it. I'll be spiritual. I'll pray about it. I went back to my job. They kept the job open for me, business development executive and working, ah, really dull. And I said, okay, God, right now, in front of the computer, if you want me to go to this hellhole war zone, this piddly country in Central Africa that no one gives a flying monkey about, then that means leaving family, friends, security, career, everything, going to a place where I might get killed and where I told you people have tried to kill me. So I want a radical sign right now in front of the computer, right now in front of the computer to justify such a, a radical change of career. That's a specific prayer, isn't it? Right now, in front of the computer, if you want me to go, give me a sign. I didn't wait long. I took a phone call. The voice on the other end, out the blue, said, do you know anyone who wants to work in Burundi? That was my call. Now, that's no one else's call here. That's my call. The Lord calls in all sorts of different ways. Some of them are very wacky. Some of them are very specific. Maybe I needed a very specific call to, to go through what I've been through in the last 10 years. It's, I'm not going to give you a soft sell this evening. It is amazing following Jesus, but it's not easy. But if you want to make your life count, then that's the prayer he wants. And whether he, he, he gives you some wacky answer prayer, some phone call from God experience, or whether it's just knocking on doors and using your common sense and taking advice from older people in the faith or being struck by a verse in, in the scriptures or through the sermon, and, and you sense the leading of the Holy Spirit and you move in that direction, whether it's wacky or, or just general, the Lord is calling all of us this evening to lay down our lives, to not play it safe, to not be nice, respectable, middle-class middle people, but to 
get out there and be willing to die for the King of Kings. Do you know what? In response to that prayer in the last 10, 11 years, I've seen about 200,000 people come to Jesus. That's mind-blowing, isn't it? I don't say that for my glory at all. I say it for the glory of the King. I, I know the fickleness of my heart. I know how often I've wanted to give up, that I've been judgmental and bitchy and arrogant and conceited. I, I know my own heart. It has to be the Lord. But you see the power of a surrendered life. You can be ahead of the game. I pray that when it's 24. You can pray it now, age 16, 14, 19, 17, 23, whatever we are. And then we do. We launch out. And that bungee jump thing, it's just an analogy. It's just a picture. But it is safe. We don't jump without the court. We jump on the basis of God's revelation in the scriptures. And hopefully our experiential reality of a faith in which he's proved himself to us over and over again. I'm going to show you some pictures before we look at the, uh, the scriptures. But that's a, that's a bit of the context. So you've seen, we saw some of, of one of the 13 films on that. So basically there's a, there's a, there's a book and it goes, as, as Julie said, 13 chapters, 13 films. Please get it for your youth group, for, your, for yourself, your home group, whatever it is afterwards. That'd be terrific. And there is Burundi in the heart of Africa. And by the way, I would actually pray, ask for even more prayers for the Congo. Because according to where that, the, that red arrow is, in, in, in eastern Congo, according to the UN, 5.4 million people have died in that ongoing conflict. I look out at you precious ladies, sisters tonight. Most of you out there, you would have been raped. It's been bog-standard used as the strategy of war to demoralize the men. There's the capital, Bujumbra. I speak a language called Kirundi, which goes something like this. It's a small country. It's about the size of Wales, not a big place. And before we get into some heavy stuff, let me just show you some, some lighter stuff. Um, what is going on there? Really useful signs. Just, that's, that's actually not Burundi, but uh, this is all Africa. Great roads. So, uh, you know, basically what happened was that we kicked off this charity. I work with Scripture Union out there. I work with Youth for Christ. Uh, we support a number of organizations getting behind incredible local men of faith. I don't really want to talk about... Uh, our charity, but what we're doing. By the way, this is just where I've been uh, more recently, and all I want to say is that whether you go to Belfast Bible College or um, uh, All Nations, wherever, this is where I was as a student. If, you, if you're going on the mission field, more, more than these two, three-week things, if you're going for any length of time, please go and get trained. Because otherwise, you come across, if you're coming across for a year or something and you have, haven't had any training, it's quite challenging to communicate the gospel effectively cross-culturally. And so you could be the most well-intentioned spanner who comes across and just doesn't know how to engage effectively. And I'd love you to get training because I'm on the ground receiving people who sometimes behave like total muppets. And they don't mean to, but uh, they they do. So please don't undervalue training. If you're interested in missions, come and see me afterwards and uh, we can look at that. That's my family. So I went out as a single nutter and then the Lord eventually blessed me with a a wonderful lady to share the journey. Sorry for the overlap uh, two days ago, but... uh, there's a few pictures that I showed then. And look down at my little daughter there, beautiful little daughter. And, and she was named after this girl. This girl was an abortion. So this girl started her life thrown down the toilet. She was a, a, a rejected piece of flesh. And those that have been in Africa know that uh, a toilet is just a pit latrine. It's a hole in the ground. You know, dug 20 foot deep and it fills up with filth over 10 years and they dig one next to it. And so that's where this girl started her life, thrown away in the turd. 
And someone must have been about to go to the loo and, and, and looked down in, in the filth and saw something shimmer or wriggle. And, and they fished out this little piece of flesh and it or she was still alive. And she weighed two pounds. Two pounds. And she's cleaned off all the filth and she was fed through a pep tube like a little bird. And now she's growing up down the road from me and her name is Grace. And Grace to me is the most beautiful name. I don't know if any Grace is here. It's my favorite girl's name. I've called my daughter Grace because I want her to know that she's an incredible gift, that everything in life is a gift. And, and that story epitomizes the Christian gospel. It illustrates the Christian gospel that whether we're multi-merging rapists, pillaging idiots in Central Africa or very self-absorbed people in, in Bangor or Belfast or wherever we come from this evening, we all need his grace. Amen? And God reaches down with flesh on, Jesus, God with flesh on. He comes down, he bridges that gap, and he picks us up, and he cleans us off. And he says to each one of us this evening, you are beautiful, you are made in my image, I love you. Now come on, live for me. Don't play it safe, take risks, step out there, and go for it. And, and... Grace is a very powerful dynamic because it's not guilt. There's been so much guilt in the church, hasn't there? And it's not about being forced in, into, into doing stuff. Apart from, if we want to say we're forced, that would be 2 Corinthians 5, verse, verse 14, where we talked about, for Christ's love forces me, compels me. It's the love of Christ that makes me want to do it. How, why do I want to go that far for him? Because he went that far for me. How, and how far is it's too far when he stretches his arms out on the cross in sacrificial, costly love and says, that's how much I love each one of you. Grace, hear it this evening and live for him. And I, I talked about this guy the other night too, but I really want your prayers on this guy because he's, to me, he's the most amazing man on the planet I've had the privilege to, to meet so far. And I've met some pretty amazing African brothers and sisters. But tomorrow morning, it's already started. We've packed off today 600 of you guys. And I wonder how many of you guys would be willing to do this. So literally today, they've been given their makeshift uh, bags uh, with tracts and a few provisions, bottles of water, and they have gone, 600 of them, to 34 different areas around the country to go and tell people about Jesus for 10 days. And they will go out there and they will do the Acts of the Apostles. And what happens in the Acts of the Apostles, if we read our Bibles, we think maybe that's 2,000 years, 2, years ago, but do, they, do demons really still exist? Yes, they do. And so they will go and cast out demons. And do people really still get healed? They will go and heal the sick. And do people still get their heads kicked in? Well, we, we've, we've heard from Pete there. And, and lots of countries, yes, people do suffer for following Jesus. And our brothers will go out there and they will get their heads kicked in. And, and that's all because it happened last year. And I haven't got time for all the stories, but just one story from last year. As, as in one, lady, one lady particularly was very antagonistic to our team. Our team came to the village to share Christ. And she said, she said F off. We don't listen to you. We're not interested in your Jesus. And then she said, hang on, we'll listen to you if you heal this demon-possessed girl. The whole community knew this demon-possessed girl. And so uh, there was the challenge, wasn't it? Don't just talk a good game. They gathered around. They prayed for that girl. <laughs> All those demons were cast out. And on the spot, the antagonistic lady and 20 people gave their lives to Christ. But you would when you see the higher power. Isn't that right? And you know what? In, in, in two weeks last year, it was two weeks, this time it's 10 days because of uh, school breaks. Uh, in two weeks of saturation evangelism, one-on-one, -on -one, very intentionally, in all those different communities, they spoke to 60,000 people and 26,000 people gave their lives to Jesus. Now, could it happen here? 
I mean, yes, people aren't as open, but yes, it could happen because it means we have to get out of our comfort zones. We have to stop being nice and respectful. And we have to live the walk and not just talk a good game. Now, what I want you to do is, is pray for that, please. So from tomorrow, for the next 10 days, I'd love your prayers. And then I'm going to tell you what happens. So I put on different areas right now, those sheets of paper. Those of you got the sheets of paper, give me a quick wave. And then can you start, start them moving? And please sign up your emails. And what it'll mean is that in, in a few weeks' time, when an S4 sends me through the results, I'm going to share them with you. And you'll be able to hear about the miracles, about the witch doctors coming to Christ. Incredible number of witch doctors last year. I forget. I mean, it was several dozen of witch doctors last year gave their lives to Christ with serious serious demonstrations of the power of God. So you don't have to, but sign up your emails clearly, and then I'm going to keep you abreast of what's going on. Some of you might have heard this lady speak. I see the books at the back of the, uh, on, on the bookstore. And she was given the choice of how to die. Can you imagine that choice? She could choose to be machete to death or club to death, or if she had five pounds, she could buy her bullets. She didn't have five pounds, so she chose to be clubbed to death. And she was cracked in the back of the head and fell in this mass grave alongside nine of her family who were already dead, and she was buried. And then a few hours later, someone walked over that mass grave, and they heard a whimper. And they fished out this, uh, this body, and there she was. The killers were still there. They're high on their drugs and juju's and stuff, and they were freaked out. They thought she was a ghost, so they let her go. And now look at her. She's a beautiful young lady. In fact, she's, she's married a pastor. She's had two of her own kids. And she's adopted four kids from the other tribe. Now, that's the gospel, isn't it? I mean, it's hard for us to get into the, the mindset of, of, of Rwandan culture and to imagine doing that to the person that annihilated my family. But that is the hope for Burundi, for Congo, for, for Rwanda, for Northern Ireland, or wherever the Lord is going to call us. And these are grim pictures of what the whole area is known for. Don't want to dwell on them. AIDS, it's a ravaging disease. We're involved in AIDS outreach as well. Um, this, this precious brother, look at that sort of pain smile on his face. He was a witch doctor uh, and also a Muslim sheikh, so a Muslim pastor equivalent, a, a community leader. Uh, and he was chauffeur-driven. He was very wealthy. And what pushed him towards giving his life to Christ was that he was with a Jehovah's Witness friend of his who cursed Jesus and then dropped dead. And Salih, my precious friend, was bricking himself. You know, he, he thought, well, my life is cursing Jesus. He didn't want to die. So he went to my friend, learned to get, got together a bunch of people to pray. And after a few days of praying, because they knew they were up against a satanic battle with, with Salih, as a witch doctor particularly, they got him in the room. After several days of praying and fasting and interceding, getting ready, they got him in that room and they prayed over him for several hours again as all those demons wrestled over his body and he was free. And that night, as they'd, as, since he'd been involved in witchcraft, that always jinn, that's Islamic terminology for demons, jinn had come to taunt him. And he lived under this oppressive fear. And they came that night, as they always had, to, to oppress him and to taunt him. And he said, be gone, in Jesus' name. And he's been freed ever since. But he has gone from riches to rags. Because he was a Muslim, an apostate now, uh, a traitor to the faith, he, he's, he, we've had to relocate him three times. had lots of death threats. He's been traumatized from being chauffeur-driven. He now is desperately poor and has fled to the Congo with a wife and three children. It's so hard and costly for many of our brothers and sisters to follow Jesus. And we have to engage in, Paul speak, sharing in the sufferings of the body of Christ. If we don't, we're not following him. And look at that pain smile. I said to him, Sally, what's it like going from riches to rags? And he said, 
right then, when I took that photo, I've got peace in my heart. I've got Jesus. But that's costly, isn't it? That's really costly. These guys, are, they're all murderers and uh, rapists. They're child soldiers that were trying to demobilize and get into, well, train as mechanics in this case. And it's also a prostitute demobilization project. And, you know, some of these stories are just to increase our faith and to blow our mind at the grace of, of God. Because this girl's called Ange. Ange, French for angel. That's her name. She was, the, she was, the, she was a high-class prostitute. She used to service the UN. And... Uh, and when she came to Christ on this, on this program, uh, she wanted to go back and tell her, her family that, uh, of her newfound hope in Jesus and her restoration. And amazingly, she didn't have AIDS. But they lot, they'd disowned her 10 years beforehand. They long presumed she was dead as a disgrace anyway in the family. They wouldn't have wanted to see her. But, you know, a prostitute doesn't last long, right? And so she prepared to go up country to see her family. And the day before she went up country, her brothers, two of her brothers, had a vision that someone important was coming the next day and they were to prepare a feast. So they prepared this feast not knowing who this visitor was. And then Ange gets off the bus, the Matatu, back from the dead. Isn't that beautiful? Much rejoicing over a sinner repenting. Well, this lady, she looks a bit like a grumpy cow, doesn't she? But actually, she's, she's totally turbocharged evangelist. I just took her, took her at a bad moment. Um, and, um, you know, what happened to her, Agatha, was that uh, she, she had, whether it was a stroke or witchcraft, we're not sure, but, but she, her whole body curled up into a ball, and she went deaf, dumb, and blind. And her parents, for seven years, wheeled her out onto the patio, and then at the end of the day, wheeled her back in. She was a vegetable. Everyone knew it again, the community. And then I'm sure loads of people came and prayed for her. But on this one occasion, a bunch of young people came and prayed over her in the name of Jesus. And her whole, her whole body just uncoiled again and came back to how it was. And she got her sight back and she got her hearing back. But she still couldn't speak. That was the last thing lacking. But she joined the church choir by faith. And three weeks later, the Lord released her tongue to sing his praises. And she is, amen, she is a turbocharged nutter bombing around sharing her story. And you can't deny a story, can you? She's been on national radio. No one can deny that story because they knew who she was. That's the power of God. And I shared this guy's story the other day too. But that, well, that girl in my arms, she had AIDS. Her whole family died of AIDS and she's been healed of AIDS. And I have to say that fries my brain. Because my neighbor wasn't healed of AIDS. And my colleague hasn't been healed of AIDS. They die. People die of AIDS, right? They don't get healed. And yet some... How, in her instance, in God's grace, he's chosen to heal her. And may she be used to make a difference in her nation. That boy in my arms there, he was, uh, well, he's eight years old in that photo. But he looks like a three-year-old. Because when he was three, he stopped growing. He stopped growing because of the trauma of seeing his mum and dad hacked to death. And that trauma just stopped him growing. And he's forced to eat some of his dad's body parts. And he's found in a rubbish dump. We'd been eating mud for a year. And I had to cut the stones out of his gums. These are the sick realities of war. But the gloriously redemptive part of little Johnny's story is that he has now forgiven those people. In fact, age eight, he took Jesus' words, challenging words, love your enemies, bless those who persecute you. If you want to be forgiven, you must forgive. If you won't forgive, you won't be forgiven. And so he forgave. And he started growing again. Literally. 
literally, physically crying again, as well as spiritually, emotionally. I don't know, some of you might have had some bad stuff in your life, not that kind of stuff, but there's, there's been plenty of abuse and bullying and, uh, and sexually messy stuff in our past, maybe. I'm not saying it's easy, but bring it to Jesus, even tonight. And we can move on and start growing again. That girl in my arms there, uh, sorry, the next one down, she arrived at that orphanage. She'd never taken the clothes off her back in her memory. You know, I don't want us to feel guilty, but I do want us to feel grateful. As I talk about those death threats I had, why was it such an epiphany for me? Because for the first time in my life, I said, thank you, Lord. Having uh, been told that they were going to cut out my eyes, I said, thank you, Lord, that I can see. What an incredible gift is the gift of sight. And you know what? Some of you are nicer to look at than others. But I'm very grateful I can see all of you. You know, I thought this was going to be taken from me. And there are so many things that we take of as, as our rights that are not rights, they're gifts. You've got incredible gifts in this part of the world. We, we, we've, we, we, all of us know how to read and write. We've all got a chance to get free schooling. One girl, one of our camps, she stood up and confessed to sleeping with a priest because she didn't have three quid for her school fees. We've all got access to free medical care. As my pastor's 18-year-old brother died in his arms because he didn't have three pounds for the medicine across the counter. We've all got, none of us here has had to really pray, give us a day our daily bread, because at our worst, there's always a Salvation Army that's going to help us out, right? This little Johnny was found scratching around, eating mud for a year. We'll sleep with a roof over our heads tonight, unless we choose to camp. As many of the girls, particularly in women, prefer to sleep in a swamp for years because of the fear of people coming during the night to rape them. And you've got freedom in this land to proclaim Jesus. That's an incredible freedom. Because for 250 million of our brothers and sisters around the world that live under 60-odd nations' regimes that do not tolerate the preaching of the name of Christ, there's real suffering going on. Guys, let's seize it. Let's use it whilst we've got it. And you know what? I don't think it'll be bad when persecution comes in this land because it will sort out the wheat and the chaff. And are we the wheat or are we the chaff? You know, when I was at school, a, a preacher came and, I, and there were six of us at the Christian Union. And he said that 10 years from now, of you six, one of you will still be following Jesus. And we all said, yeah, shut up. Yeah, right. No, we all love Jesus. We'll all be passionate. Do you know what? More than 10 years have gone since that time. I am the only one. So as I look out at us this evening, you know, I, see, I do see incredible potential if we buy into the challenge I'm giving you. But I also see that the, the, the danger and what I fear is that out this room in 10 years' time, these guys will still be following Jesus. And all the rest would have fallen away. That's a horrific thought, isn't it? Now, I don't think that's going to happen because it's a missionary convention, so we've come here pretty passionate. But can we be awake to the reality that unless we are so intentional about our following of Christ in a very subtly, relentlessly sapping of our spirituality culture, you will get taken out. We have to be so countercultural in what we're seeking to do and be. Or we'll just get taken out. And by taking out, it could mean that you just end up with a nice pucker job in the suburbs with 2.4 kids being respectable. And that's why I'm excited about tonight. It's working with you guys because you can say, age 17, I'm not going to settle for that. 
I'm going to be a true, authentic follower of Christ. I'm not going to settle for anything less than, than the adventure that you're calling me to, Lord. And whether that's as a politician, whether that's in the media or the arts or in business or in sports, entertainments, whatever. We're all wired different ways. I can do stuff that you can't do. You can do stuff that I, I can't do. But please, I just don't want us to, us to get to the end of our lives. And so many believers do where they just have got loads of stuff, but they're not going to take that stuff with them. And they're They're sat there with shriveled souls. Shriveled souls and dreams that were never enacted. Risks that were never taken. And I don't wish that on anyone. Too many stories. Ah, This brother said to me, Simon, when I left, will you take one of my kids in your luggage so at least one of our family survives? What do you say to that? Things have settled down, by the way. That's a few years ago. When I got to this place, the rebels had just sent down the chopped off heads of soldiers they'd killed and they'd two tribes, but all that one tribe was being supposedly protected. The other tribe had the army. They'd been through all those tin shacks, piercing it with a bayonet so that when, people, when it got rained, people would get wet more and die quicker. Ten people were dying day after day. 40,000 in the camp, not a toilet. And uh, I preached and many came to Christ and then they, they packed me off. They, but I quickly went into one of those hovels, maybe six by ten foot for, for a family of ten. And... Uh, I, got the most, I was given the most costly meal of my life. Rice and beans. It was hideous. It wasn't tasty, but these people were dying. And they gave me their everything. As so often we give our little out of our gross affluence. What are you going to bring to Jesus tonight? Are we going to give him a bit of our lives? Are we expecting him to follow us on our terms or our convenience? Or are we truly going to follow him? If anyone would come after me, he or she must deny self, take up cross daily, and follow me. And they packed me off with a stick of bananas with the rebels just up there a few hundred yards away. I came across blood on the road, a bunch of soldiers that look in their eyes. Very intense. But you know what? If you think you're going to die next week, you're not going to waste today. You're going to make your life count. And because I've had bombs literally falling around me, it's much easier for me to live radically and passionately. And the challenge is here is that you think you're going to live to your 70 or 80. And it's very easy to be a waster. It's very easy to, to be a sucker for apathy and for relativism and all the isms that are absolutely taking us out in this culture. Resist, be intentional, stand up for Jesus, and uh, he will use you. We have an expression in English, that's how the other half live. Well, that's how half the world lives, a bucket of water for a shower. And a, that's the sort of toilet down which grace started her life. And this... Brother, apart from being an advert for Colgate toothpaste, is, um, <laughs> is a precious brother who suffered so much in his pursuit of, of, of Christ. And he's uh, run the Street Kids project we've been behind. And, and having mentored these street kids for 10 years, one of them goes and rapes his three-year-old daughter. I mean, you get some sucker punches. But he's not giving up. And as his family said, what are you doing? Stop. And it was the guy from the other tribe. He's taking people into his own home from the other tribe. That, again, is the power of the gospel. And his family's saying, leave them. Look after your own. Come on, you stupid. He says, no. This is God's work. Satan's trying to destroy it. I will not let him. But you see how costly it is? 
I've given like a beggar. I've lived like the rich. I've crafted myself a more comfortable cross. But what I'm called to is deepen this. It's time you had my whole life. Jesus, have it all. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I'm going to give you a chance to respond now. And if we picture an altar down here, it's a chance to to get on that altar, to be a living sacrifice. See, Paul is saying, therefore, and therefore is all about 9 to 11 of Romans, which is the fact that all of us, even us here in Northern Ireland, we have access to God's grace. It's not just the chosen people, the Israelites, but all of us. And so at the end of chapter 11, he sings a song of praise, and then he says, therefore, see, it's all about grace. Therefore, I urge you. So what is it to be a living sacrifice? First of all, it's to live urgently. He urges us because it's urgent. It is urgent that we live. The stakes are incredibly high because those who say to God, our mates in the pub, on the, on the team, in the club, at school, across the lecture hall, if, 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 if they say that to God, if they're either angry at God, lots of people are angry at God, but lots of people are just apathetic and don't care. Whatever, that's their decision. Then they will face a Christless eternity. Who believes that in this room tonight? Some of us, Well, the scripture said, Jesus said, whoever believes in in me has eternal life. Whoever rejects me will not see life. But God's wrath, God's anger remains on him or her. Paul writes, he will punish those who don't know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord from the majesty of his power. That's really heavy. But he also writes, God wills that none should perish, that all should be saved. So Jesus has died on the cross for all of our friends, our neighbors, our, uh, our loved ones to be saved. He's saying, come, come, come to me. Receive this gift. But if people say, then he says, eventually your will be done into eternity. So the gospel is great news, but it's horrific news. Before we get to the good news, if we choose not to respond in gratitude to what the Lord has done. So to be a living sacrifice is to live urgently. We need to live with a sense of urgency and dynamism out of our convictions that Jesus, as he said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's why I'm willing to die in Burundi, because I know it's not the end. I'm ready to die, because actually it's the beginning. And that's the spirit which will change this nation. As it's slowly getting taken out. We need to live with a sense of urgency. My grandfather was a great man of God, actually in Rwanda, spent most of his life there. And when he was put in the ground, they said this about him, Peter Gilbo worked as if he'd lived forever, and he lived as if he'd die tomorrow. I wouldn't mind that saying about, about me, or about you. We worked full on, passionately. Not discounting seasons of rest and, and Sabbath and that sort of stuff, but we worked passionately, full on, giving it our best shot as if we lived forever and we lived as if we died tomorrow with that sense of urgency. In one ambush, and ambushes was the way I expected to die, uh, in one ambush, this, it's, too, it's, it's too dangerous and sick in the sense to be comical, but it almost is because this really fat lady managed to get out of the truck and they've lined up everyone there and they're killing them there and this fat lady jumps into the, into the ditch here and she's lying in the ditch and a pastor manages to all, also get away. So the only two people that have escaped, the pastor and this fat woman, and they're, they're mowing them down there 
there, and this pastor is lying in a very compromising position, seemingly on top of this fat woman, and he's face to face with her there in the ditch as they're getting killed there. And he says, you need to pray right now because you're going to die and you need to know where you're going. That's urgency. And is there any urgency in our lives? The stakes are so high. And why are we going to do it? Please, again, hear me. It's not, it's not guilt. It's gratitude. Therefore, I urge you. Therefore, it's already from the, from the grace. Therefore, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, the Greek word for mercy is plural, it's mercies. And I've already listed those, those mercies, those grace gifts that we've got. We've got clothes and clothes in abundance. We know how to read and write. We've got an education. We've got food on the table at night. We've got access to opportunities in life. We've got freedom in this nation to share Christ. We've got access to medical stuff. It's incredible. In view of his mercies, all the gifts he's given us, it's, just, it's about grace. Get on the altar. So to be a living sacrifice is to live urgently. Secondly, to be a living sacrifice is to give unreservedly. He's saying, get on the altar. Now he's urging us. He's not forcing us. No one's forced this evening. You can settle for less than the best. But I plead with you, as Paul does, I urge you, live urgently, give unreservedly, bring him your life, get on the altar. Now, the problem with being a living sacrifice, we can always get off the altar. But I want to plead with you, just hang on in there. Even if it's tough, it is tough. I've been tempted to jump off before. But if you step out of God's will, this is C.S. Lewis, if you step off the altar, which is God's will, step out of God's will, you step into Nowhere. And I've been nowhere. I've been in that place of disobedience. It's a horrible place. Hang on in there. So is he going to help himself to you this evening? Or are you so taken up with what you want to make of your life? That's a very opposite, appropriate question, isn't it? In our self-centered, obsessed, narcissistic culture. Is he going to help himself to me? Or am I so taken up with what I want to make of my life? You see, he can't bless us until he has us, whatever blessing is. He can't bless us until he has us. And when we try to keep errors in our life that are our own, they're errors of death. And in love, he claims all. He says, don't bargain with me. And many of us are into bargaining. Lord, I'll, I'll follow you if you, give me, if you give me a boyfriend or a girlfriend. I'll, I'll follow you. I mean, I'll give you my Sundays and maybe my Saturday night youth, youth stuff, but I won't give you the Friday nights. I'll give you maybe my money. I won't give you my sex life, whatever. He says, no, don't bargain with me. Be wholly set apart. That's a holy place of death, of purit- purifying, of getting the dross burnt off, of being totally set apart, giving ourselves unreservedly, the whole lot. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. You can be holy and pleasing to him. And this is your spiritual act of worship, he says. Again, the Greek word for that is spiritual, is logiken, from which we get logical. And to me, it's absolutely logical to die, go to that place of death on the altar. But only if Jesus rose from the dead, only if he is who he claims to be. You see, if he didn't, and Paul writes that in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19, he says, if we... A banger worldwide missionary convention this evening. If we are here and Jesus isn't who he claimed to be and he didn't conquer death and rise to new life so that we could live to the full now and into eternity, then we are to be pitied. Pitied above all people. Do you want to be pitied? I mean, what is pity? Uh, I don't want to be pitied. But you see, if Jesus isn't who he claims to be, we are. We're wasting our time. This convention is a total waste of time. But if it is the truth, if he did rise from the dead, then this is absolutely critical. And this is what living is about. This is your spiritual, logical act of worship. So do not conform, verse 2. So just just three things I'm saying, essentially, before I give you the chance to respond, is to be a living sacrifice, to live urgently, is to give unreservedly, and lastly, it's to be transformed radically. Verse 2, do not 
conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. J.B. Phillips' paraphrased version that says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Everything is squeezing us into a different mold. You know, the lyrics of songs that we uh, listen to uncritically, the, the, the lies of advertising that define us on such shallow criterion as, as uh, ex- external stuff. Do you know what? I was talking about this earlier. A survey's been done. 1% of you ladies, you girls and ladies, think you're beautiful. Do you know why that is? In no small part... It's because you read those, can I overstate this? You read these satanic magazines that define you on such shallow criteria as, as how big you are or, or what you wear and that sort of thing. And so you end up having an eating disorder because you think you've got to look like a skinny runt on the front cover of that stupid magazine. You see, the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy, and he wants you to go and have a sex with, with, with anyone who's not your, your wife or husband. He wants just you to, be, to give up your purity. He wants you to have a low self-esteem. And he just, he's just stealing it all away from you because you read that trash. And if you don't guard your heart, it's the wellspring of life. Proverbs 4, verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. And if you let anything in, you just get taken out. What goes in will come out. You read trash, you'll live trash. So do not be conformed, squeeze into the mold, but be radically transformed. It's so beautiful, you know. Jesus was so beautiful because he was so different. He was totally culturally engaged. But the beauty was that he, he touched the untouchable. He denounced hypocrisy. He called it as it was. He was, couldn't stand stinking, festering religion. He wanted the real thing. Who's up for it? You see, if you're up for it, it will cost you your life. You might have the privilege of martyrdom, you might not. But you need that spirit of being willing to lay down your life. That's what Jesus is saying when he says, if you're going to come up to me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Don't expect me to follow you on your terms at your convenience. No, follow me. And if you're going to follow me, it's through the way of the cross. So we're going to pray now. And uh, the, the emphasis of this convention... Is, is, is a fabulous, appropriate emphasis about mission, about getting out there to the nations. I hope that all of us, at the very least, we're going to get out across our street or across the pub or across the office floor or across the football pitch, whatever, that we're going to meet the guys around us. And so there are two levels I want to uh, pray now. First of all, I'm going to offer us uh, the chance to uh, to pray a prayer of total surrender for those of you who are up for that. And that's going to be a general prayer for all of you to stand. And, but I also want to more specifically offer you the chance, if you feel the Lord is mailing you for cross-cultural mission, where you feel, whether it's in Asia, somewhere in the 1040 window, where millions of people, hundreds of millions, haven't even yet heard the name of Christ. And the needs are desperate. And the Lord is saying, he's, he, you can he, he, feel the Holy Spirit right now saying, get out there, Asia, China, Indonesia, Philippines, Brazil, etc. Then I'm going to ask you to start coming right down here. We're going to pray for you down here. Okay? So why don't we, can the musicians come up? And, uh, and let's bow our heads. And just so we're very clear 
And by the way, I'm not into emotionalism at all, so this is between you and God. But if you feel the call to cross-cultural mission, can you start coming down to the front here right now? Even from the top, just start coming down to the front. And then for those of us who are up for radical, radical surrender, and we don't know where it is, but we're just saying, I'm in, will you stand with me right now? So stand right now if you're just up for responding, wherever he's... I'm not talking cross-culture, but if you're saying, I'm in, I want to see my nation transformed, I don't want to play it safe, I will do anything, I'll go anywhere, will you stand with me right now? We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.